What we'll do is we'll read the passage. By the way, the story of the triumphal entry, I'm not sure it was as triumphal as we think it was, and, uh, but the story of the triumphal entry is recorded in all four Gospels. Right? All four Gospels record it, uh, which means it's important. Now, if God says something once, that's enough for us. That makes it important. Uh, but the fact that it's recorded in all four Gospels makes it very important. Luke 19 and verse 29. It came to pass when he was come nigh to Bethpage of Bethany at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go ye into the village over against you, in the, which at your entering ye shall find a colt tied, whereon yet never man sat. Loose him and bring him thither. And if any man ask you, why do you loose him? Thus shall ye say unto him, because the Lord hath need of him. And they that went, were sent went their way, and found even as he had said unto them. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, Why loose ye the colt? But they said, The Lord hath need of him. And they said, The Lord hath need of him. And they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus thereon. And as he went... They spread their clothes in the way, and when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and to praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto them, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you, that if these would hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. And when he was come near, he beheld the city, and he wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the day shall come upon thee, that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, and compass thee round, and keep thee in on every side. And they shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. Father, we do ask you, Lord, would you bless your word to us now, Lord. Help us as we look to your word. Help us as we look to this great day. Lord, may we catch something of the magnificent, the wonder uh, of a God who controls time and eternity, uh, and who can bring the events that he wants to pass right to pass, in the right way, in the right time. And Lord, may we be encouraged and may we glorify your name. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, as we begin this week, this is traditionally Holy Week or Passion Week. And what you've got in this week is you've got the days fall out uh, of what happened with the Lord and and how he died and uh, all those things. There was a time in Ireland when it was a very special week. Now, I know it was Catholic, but it was a very special week. It was a week when nothing really happened and everybody was aware this is Holy Week. Everybody, it was just kind of, the whole country was aware. It was, it, you would hear it on the radio. You would, uh, it was just very, it's, that's changed in, the, in recent days. And we've come to the place now where it's just kind of a big celebration at the end of the week uh, because of Easter. But as believers, Easter is the day in the year. Now, I know we love Christmas, but Christmas is not as big a day as Easter is. God has given us Easter as the day. Uh, for us to remember the resurrection morning when we remember uh, the Lord Jesus Christ and his <clears throat> resurrection. Uh, <clears throat> but this week, uh, let me just tell you how much of it's in the scriptures. Luke has five out of 25 chapters devoted to this week. Uh, Matthew has seven out of 28 chapters. Mark has five out of 16. And in John, it begins in chapter 12 and goes all the way through to the end of the gospel. So you've got a lot written about this week. 
would do you good, by the way, <clears throat> I don't know where you, how you organize your devotions or how you do them, would do you good to even pause where you're at in your reading and just to spend this week reading through those chapters that pertain to the week and get it in your mind and in your heart, all that happened in this week. I'm going to do a reflection on, on um, Facebook uh, this week, never done it before, but just each day, just a thought, reflecting on a thought of something that happened uh, that day uh, because I think it's an important week for us. I think it's important for us to remember uh, all that happened in this week. Now, the triumphal entry, as I said, is recorded in all four Gospels. And <clears throat> uh, that, that makes it, again, important for us. There's something in this that God wants us to see. And as I just look at it, and we're only going to go through one of the accounts, as I look at it, a couple of thoughts hit me. First of all, <clears throat> uh, the thought hits me, how confused everybody was on this day. All except the Lord. He's the only one that really knows what's going on. Uh, everybody else is confused in their own way, in their thinking. That strikes, strikes a chord in me because I think very often I've been confused in my walk with the Lord, thinking what I wanted was what he wanted, and not really willing to leave myself in the place where it was whatever he wanted. I think we need to catch that thought today. The other thought <clears throat> uh, that, that, that catches me about it is the incredible prophecy that unfolds. See, in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel has pled with God uh, to help him understand the last times. And in Daniel chapter 9, God tells him what's going to happen in the last times. There's 70 years. And they have worked it out that up to this point, there is one year left. 70 weeks, sorry. 70 weeks. A week is seven years. Uh, And that on the very day that he walked into... Uh, that Jesus arrived in Jerusalem, that was him presenting himself, uh, and that could be traced back in history, that that, that that date could be predicted. God coming back can't be predicted, but that date could be predicted, predicted, and there's one week left, seven years left. That's the tribulation period. We're in a pause, in a apprentices, in a, uh, a space between those two things now, uh, at this stage in the church age. They didn't see it. God had planned, uh, but they didn't see it. But they're all confused. I mean, Jesus obviously is not confused. He knows exactly what's going on here. Uh, he understands exactly where he goes. He comes and he looks over the city of Jerusalem and he weeps for it. Well, why does he weep? Because he knows exactly what they're going to do. He's not weeping for himself. He, he knows that they're going to reject him as king and he's weeping for them because it's going to cost them greatly. Now, we'll look at that in more detail tonight. But the disciples are confused too. Do you realize that in John chapter 11, uh, they're going to Jerusalem with him uh, and they are afraid to go to Jerusalem because the Jews are seeking to kill Jesus. And one of them says, well, we may as well go with them and we'll all die in Jerusalem. So the disciples are going to Jerusalem, and it's a terrifying thought for them because they are hated in Jerusalem, and they're thinking maybe they're going to lose their lives. But then there's the multitude of the disciples, and they, they're the ones that get excited at all that's happening here. They're the ones that, that come to the place where they're excited about uh, what's happening. They're excited. You see, one of the big things that's happened is in John chapter 11, Jesus has, healed, has, has resurrected Lazarus. So Lazarus was dead. He was four days in the tomb. Jesus came, told him to roll back the stone, called Lazarus forth, forth, and Lazarus came out of the tomb. Bethany is not so far. It's only like two miles from Jerusalem. You know, <clears throat> uh, That was big news. Everybody had heard that. You know, it's one thing for somebody to be sick and get raised up a few minutes after they die. But this guy was four days in the tomb. Everybody had heard about it. 
So many people had heard about it that the Pharisees were considering. They wanted to kill Jesus already, but now they wanted to kill Jesus and Lazarus because he was causing people to believe. Uh, Isn't that crazy? Isn't that totally unbelievable? They wanted to kill Lazarus as well because the the fame of what had happened because of Lazarus being raised from the dead is really one of the instigators of them praising and worshiping the Lord here. And then, of course, there's the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, for the Pharisees, this is the last straw. Jesus is now claiming to be the Messiah. And if they don't act right now, they're going to lose everything, they think. And so they're going to act. They're going to actually make it happen. They, you know, all of this is actually unfolding in the story as we're looking at here. God has it planned, but nobody else knows what's going to actually happen and how it's going to, how it's going to <clears throat> come about. And so uh, as we look at our story, first of all, I want, I want us to think about the significance of the cult. Zechariah 9.9. Let me show it to you on the screen there. Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon the colt foal of an ass. This was a prophecy that Jesus fulfilled. In fact, we read in the story, he sent the guys to get this colt because knowing what he was doing, he was coming into Jerusalem today and he was going to ride in as the king. He was going to ride in as the king from Scripture, as the king uh, who would fulfill prophecy. He was going to actually uh, come in and show them uh, who he was. And you know what? Uh, the, the multitude of the disciples, they got what he was doing. They saw what was happening. And in fact, they wanted it. Now, why do you think they wanted it, though? They wanted it because he was a miracle-working, amazing person. I mean, in the same way when he fed the 5,000, they wanted to make him king then. Well, the reason they wanted to make him king was because, you know, if you can feed 5,000 people and you live in a country where you're never sure uh, where you, when, you, when you're going to get fed, you know what? That's the kind of king you want, isn't it? Somebody that can feed 5,000 people out of nothing right? <clears throat> or out of very little. And um, they want him because he's got power. He can do it. But they also want him because as he's riding into town on this uh, coat fold of an ass, the Messiah was going to ride in and he's going to rid them of the awful yoke of the Roman Empire. He's going to break the power of Rome over them. So they're seeing it. They're seeing prophecy being fulfilled in front of their eyes. They're seeing this thing (coughs) just unfold for them as they're looking at it. And they want it. They want it. Now, they don't really want him. They don't want him on his terms. They want what he has to offer. And I think very often that's exactly how we are. We want God on our terms. We want God uh, in a way that we can understand, in a way that works for us. And I think if you'll examine your heart, you'll see that very often kind of shows up in your heart. You want God to be on your side and to help you work out your life the way you want. Isn't that true? Be honest with yourself. Isn't that true? That's very often where we are. Now, Jesus comes on his terms. He's totally unmoved by the fear of his own disciples. He's totally unmoved by the multitude of the disciples that want to make him king. And he's totally unmoved by the Pharisees. He's doing the Father's will. He's completely set, completely fixed on what he's going to do. He knows what this week means. He knows what's going to happen this week. And he's completely 
fixed on that. He's set on that. And you know, that's where we need to be. You know, of all the people that were expecting things that week, the only one that knew what was happening was the Lord Jesus. Everybody else is caught up with something. But the Lord Jesus Christ, he's free. He knows exactly what's happening. And he's not about himself. He's about the Father's will. You see, prophecy is getting fulfilled, but he's not getting in the way of it with his own plans. Imagine if the Lord Jesus Christ had gotten lifted up with the whole idea of them praising him and worshiping him and wanting him to be king. Imagine if he thought, this is great, this is what I want too. Wouldn't it have been easy to blink at that point? There are a couple of times in the Lord's life that I think I would have blinked if I was him. Right? One, one time is when Satan offers him uh, in the temptation, he says to him, listen, I'll give you the kingdoms of the earth. They're mine. I can give them to you. I think I would have probably blinked. You mean I wouldn't have to go to the cross? I could avoid all that? I think this is another time when the Lord could have blinked very easily. He could have said, okay, great. I'll take it. They want to make me king. I'll take it. But he doesn't. Because he's totally focused on the Father's will. You know, that's where you and I need to be. We need to be focused on the Father's will. There's no surprises to us when we're focused on his will. His will is always good and perfect and acceptable. We need to remember that what we need to focus upon is his will. The question for you this morning, is, is that where you're focused? Are you focused on his will? The second point I want you to see is this, the triumphal entry itself. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. That's a stirring scene, isn't it? That would have been stirring to see that. In fact, <laughs> you have to wonder what the disciples thought. I mean, the 12, the ones that, the ones that were with them all the time. I mean, they, would have, they were expecting the worst when they came to Jerusalem. But instead of the worst, it looks like the situation has turned around completely and they're going to make him king. It looks like it's all come right in the end. It looks like their day, their moment has come because... That's what they're, they're expecting. They're looking uh, for a king. Now, let, let, let me say this to you. And this is one of the wonders of God. Jesus rode into town that day offering himself as their king. You say, but what about the cross? He knew they were going to reject him. But nonetheless, the offer was real. You see, we'll look at it tonight, but for Jerusalem... <clears throat> The cost of this day is going to be absolute destruction. Not that day, not in that week, but within a few short years. It's going to be absolute destruction. They're going to lose everything because of the choice they're making that day. God was actually offering them Jesus as their king if they would receive him. Now, it's true. He wasn't the king they were looking for. They were looking for a warrior king. They were looking for a champion. They were looking for somebody who would take over and who would make it all happen for them. We understand that, don't we? Because that's what we look like. We, we look for very often too. No, Jesus was coming in with his own agenda. He was coming in first to deal with the sin problem. And they weren't interested in that. 
They just wanted a king who could rule. And rapidly, the weak is going, he's going to deteriorate in people's minds because, you know what, he's not fulfilling what they expect. Now, I'm not sure. You, you, you read all kinds of things about the multitude, that, the, uh, the multitude that, are, that are throwing the palm fronds uh, are the same multitude that are crying for his blood at the end of the week. I, I'm not sure that's true. I think they were, these were his, the multitude of his disciples. Uh, definitely the crowd turned against him uh, in that time. See, Jerusalem was packed with people. This is Passover time. Uh, Jerusalem is, it, the, the, the population of Jerusalem swells up to six times its normal size during this time. So, I mean, there's crowds everywhere. It's packed. Can you imagine if Tala had another uh, 500,000 people brought into it uh, for a week? And one week, and we, we, we'd be, we wouldn't be able to move in Tala. Well, that's what's happening in Jerusalem during this Passover time. Uh, it's, the, the population is just swelling. So I'm not sure who the crowd that are looking for his blood by the end of the week are. I'm not sure it's fair to throw it on this multitude of disciples and say they had. But certainly, he didn't turn out to be what they wanted He didn't turn out to be the one that would actually do the business for them. And so they're disappointed. But note this, he really is offering himself as king. You know, there's something for you to take here. He offers himself to us as king too, doesn't he? And he gives us a choice in it. You can choose to make him lord and king of your life, or you can choose not to, can't you? you and I want to control our own lives, don't we? We want to live our own You know, we come to church on Sunday morning and we can say, well, no, Pastor, that's not really true. You know, but the reality is that the heart of it is like I bent out of shape with people this week because they weren't uh, giving me what I wanted in life, and so did you. So I want to control my own life. You want to control your own life. And Jesus comes in as king. And he says, no, I want you to give control over to me. Now, we're drawn to it. See, if we were here, we'd have wanted him to be king too. We're, we're drawn to, you know, we think if there's going to be a king, he's, he's the one. He's the one I want. We're drawn to it on the one side, but on the other side we say, well, hang on a minute, I want to control my own life. And he offers himself as king. But he's meek and lowly. He, he, he doesn't force himself as king in your life. You have to submit, yield. Receive. If you're not saved, you've got to receive him as your savior, don't you? You've got to come to the place where you bow before him. And you know, that's humbling because I've got, to, in order for me to get saved, I've got to understand I was not able to save myself. I was going my own way, doing my own thing, and I needed a savior. I needed somebody that would do the work for me. I think that the, the, the first reason people are going to be in hell is because of pride, where they wouldn't give in on that one. They wouldn't say, no, I need a Savior. But <clears throat> he offers himself to us, and then he offers himself to you as your king. He says, listen, is it your life or is it my life? Are you going to, are you going to run your own life or are you going to let me in? Are you, are, you, are you going to take it and do your own thing or are you going to let me be in charge of your life? What do you say to him today? How do you respond to him today? Listen, understand this about your nature. Nobody in this situation thought they were doing wrong. They didn't. You know, the multitude wanted to make him king uh, because he suited them. They didn't think that was wrong. They thought, that's, what, what's wrong with that? The Pharisees, who were protecting themselves, were absolutely convinced that they were protecting the nation. 
they were fighting for God. And they were killing him because he was an offense to God. That's really what they were convinced of. And I mean, the disciples, even the close disciples that, that that's, were with him, I mean, their thoughts were all about their glory. They've shown it again and again. But nobody, if you'd ask any of them were they doing wrong, they wouldn't have said no. If you'd ask any of them were they willing to make him king of their lives, they'd say, oh, yeah. Would we make God king of our lives? Yeah. But the reality is, the human nature is such that we're able to make excuses and let that fall to one side. And you see, this is the day. He offers himself as king, and they say no. What are you saying to him? What did you say to him this week? What will you say to him in the week ahead? Will you say yes, or will you say no? There needs to be that moment in our lives where we come when we say, yes, Lord. I'm going to make you Lord and King. And then there needs to be that daily choice. Not my will, but thine. But we to make him king. He offered himself as king. The crowd wanted him as their king, but effectively only a king they could use. Only a king they could be in control of. Only a king who would operate according to their desires and plans. And that's what we want too. In our nature, it's not what's good for us, but it's what we want. There's the last straw for the Pharisees. They are just not having this. They are <clears throat> um, so bent out of shape about this. They are so upset about this thing that, that they're not having it at all. They're, they're having no part of this. It's the last straw for them. Uh, these people are now worshiping him. We have to get rid of him. We have to. He is an affront. He is going to spoil everything for us. He is taking our place. He is against God. Remember, uh, <clears throat> we, we, we use the name Pharisee now as a synonym for hypocrisy, don't we? Somebody who's a hypocrite is a Pharisee. Well, that's where we got it. Because what these guys are doing is uh, they're, they're, they're claiming to want what God wants when all along all that they want is what they want. And we can do that one too, folks. We can do that one too. We, we can claim that it's about God when it's really about us. Uh, it's the last straw for them and they want to get rid of him uh, <clears throat> because of it. And you see, in all of this, there's a huge misunderstanding. And I think the huge misunderstanding persists in many of our minds to this day. The misunderstanding is this, right? <clears throat> they wanted a king. The Bible promised them a king. Prophecy promised them a king. All the way back from Genesis chapter 3, it's coming. It's going to happen. It's coming. Somebody who's going to be their champion is coming. And they have a major problem. They've had several major problems with different nations ruling them. They have a real problem now because Rome is ruling, and Rome is the harshest of them all. They are, they are um, underfoot. They are under the thumb. They are, have all kinds of problems, and they want a king to set them free. All of them do. They want a king that's going to set them free, a king that's going to free them uh, from all this bondage. And Jesus comes as a king, riding on this foal, offering himself to them as their king. But they look at him and they think, that's not the kind of king we want. We want a king who will do this and this and this. Now, <clears throat> let's think it through for a few minutes. What would have happened if they had accepted him as their king? What would have happened if on this day the Pharisees would have looked out and said, he is the king. 
Look, he's fulfilled all the prophecies about the Messiah. And here he comes into town riding on this colt, the foal of an ass. He is the Messiah. And what if the whole nation had not only thrown palm fronds before him, but in their hearts and in their minds and in their souls bowed before him and accepted him as their king? What would have happened then? You know, we know the rest of the story and we know about salvation and everything else, but they were offered a king and they would have received a king. That was a genuine offer to them. But because they reject him, it's going to go very harsh with them. What about you today? Is he really your king? I'm not asking you to obey some set of rules. Because I think we get lists of rules in our head uh, that are so easy for us to actually have. uh, Not so easy for us to keep, but we get the lists of rules. And we sometimes judge our relationship with God on the basis of our rule book. No, the rule book's not the issue. The issue is this morning, is he your king? Would you actually do what he tells you to do? Do you do what he tells you to do? Now remember, ask the Pharisees, do you do what God wants you to do? Of course we do. We're the Pharisees. Ask the multitude, do you do what God wants you to do? Of course we do. Ask the disciples, do you do what what God wants you to do? And they're all going to say yes. So don't deceive yourself. Would you really do what he tells you to do? Let me ask you. Judge yourself on the past week. Has God spoken to you about something you need to do and you haven't done it? See, that's where the rubber meets the road in our lives. And by the way, I believe God's well able to speak to every one of his children. I have no confidence in my ability to discern what God is saying, but I have every confidence in his ability to communicate with me. And I think the Spirit of God is able to speak to you and I and let us know what he wants us to do. And that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where you make him king or you become king yourself. That's where you yield or that's where you stand your ground. And the problem is that once you stand your ground, the the deception solidifies, as it were. See, everybody's making a choice this day. Everybody's making a choice about about this one that's coming in uh, to town on on the foal. Some of them have made their choice, but they're all making a choice. And by the end of the week, the choice is going to be firmly made. It's going to be crucify him. He's not what we want. The choice is going to be made. We're not going to make him king. And, you know, as much as there's a doubt in everybody's mind at this point in the week, on the Sunday and by the Thursday, I believe he's going to be crucified. As much as there's a doubt in their mind, you know what? By Thursday, the doubt's going to be gone. They're going to think they did the right thing. Easter Sunday, when he rises, many of them are going to maintain the fact that we did the right thing. And they're going to try and bury that. You see, here's the thing. When you don't make him king, you end up getting deceived. And you end up rapidly not being able to hear from him. Because you're not listening. 
what did he ask you to do this week that you didn't do? Or maybe it's further back than this week, but what is it that he's asked you to do that you need to do? See, is he king? Or is he the God who comes on board to help you to live your life the way you want to? What has he put in your life that you're rejecting right now? That you're saying, no, I'm not having that. What has he put in your life that you're rejecting? Is he king? Is he our Lord and king? You know, it's a wonderful story. I mean, wouldn't you love to be there? Wouldn't you be, love to be there and throwing the palm fronds uh, under the feet of the donkey as he went down the street? Wouldn't you love to have been there? But the reality of it is there's a question being asked. Am I king? And he comes in meek and lowly, and they say, no, you're not our king. We don't want you as our king. And the God of the universe who commanded everything around him goes down their street and they say no to him. Isn't that amazing? The God of the universe who sustains all of it goes down their street and they say no. We have a better plan. And you and I can do it today. You and I can do it today. We can have a better plan than him. See, they wanted their kind of king. We all want the triumph, but you know the reality is that we're called uh, to a cross now and glory then. Triumph is coming. There's going to be a triumphal entry. I really believe that there's going to be a day when there will be a, a, a triumph party in heaven. A day when we will be so glad for the choices we made, right? There's going to be a, 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 a crown later, but you're called to a cross now. And we'll look at Jerusalem tonight at what it costs them. That's, that's not our issue for right now. The question for you is this, right? They missed their moment. Don't you miss yours? Are you saved today? Are you born again by faith in Jesus Christ? You say, well, you know, I'm not sure. You know, I'm kind of thinking about it. And, no, get saved. Isn't it incredible to think that they would refuse the king of the universe? Isn't that incredible? Can, can you imagine that they would refuse the king of the universe? They did. Do people do it today? Yes, we do. Listen, and what hope is there for anybody who refuses him in salvation? If you're not saved, get saved today. And then for you as a believer, is he really Lord of your life? Some of you say, well, I'm not sure. You know, the indication is, if you're not sure, that means he's not. If he was the Lord of your life, wouldn't you know it? And do you think if you made him Lord of your life, as feeble and frail as you are, you said, okay, today, I am accepting him as my king. I'm making him Lord of my life. Do you think if you did that today, that he wouldn't respond? The King of kings and the Lord of lords. I mean, we didn't finish off the picture of what would have happened if they'd said yes, but it would have been a whole different picture, wouldn't it? Jerusalem would have had a whole different... I don't know how it all would have worked out, but Jerusalem would have been a whole different picture. It wouldn't be the world situation that we have today if they'd said yes on that day. It would have been a whole different situation. You know what? If you would say yes to him as Lord of your life, you could change your future. You could change it. You could absolutely change your future if you would say yes to him. But he won't force you. It's up to you. 
It's your choice. Either you choose uh, to make him king, or what will happen is that you'll end up living your life going your own way and doing your own thing. Let's stand for a word of prayer. I'm going to give you a moment to do business with him. If you're not saved, I'm going to give you a moment to get saved. If (coughs) If you are saved, I'm going to give you a moment to make him Lord of your life. Now, and let me say this too. You, know, you may think, but I don't know what that means. That's okay, because you're in safe hands. Make him Lord of your life. Do whatever he would have you to do, and live a life like that, and I can guarantee you, you will be blessed by what happens in your life, and you will be blessed by the changes you see because of this day. Father in heaven, we thank you for this morning. Thank you, Lord, for your word to us. Thank you for a Savior that came into town offering himself as king. And Lord, I don't know how it all works out, but Lord, I'm so glad that uh, you did go to the cross and I'm so glad that you paid for my sin. But Lord, would you help us today? Lord, help this your people, Lord, to make the right choice. Lord, if there be one that's not saved today, may they cry out to you and ask you to save them. And Lord, if there be one that's struggling with making you Lord, would you speak to that heart and draw them close to you And, oh, Lord, would you be indeed Lord of their lives. May there be changes made. May there be a life that's different because you've stepped in and you've become Lord. Every head bowed and every eye closed. You just do business with God right where you stand. Father, we thank you now, Lord. Thank you for offering yourself. And, oh, Lord, I thank you for those that have received you as Savior and for those that have received you as King. Now, blessed Spirit of the Lord, would you make it real in hearts and lives? Would you show your power? And, Lord, would you speak to your people in ways they can understand? And, oh, Lord, may they have the joy of obeying and seeing you bless. In Jesus' name, amen.